All right, well, I've begun each sermon in this Advent series with examples of poorly matched um, first names and surnames. And um, I've spent the week on the internet, on YouTube, having lots of fun. And there are some really, really odd names out there. And this morning, I've actually brought some Milky Ways along um, because um, I've found some really unfortunate names that happen to um, kind of uh, match song lyrics. And um, so, for example, um, there's a, a, a girl, a lady by the name of Chandelier. Now, who sang this, the song Chandelier? Well done, Sia. Well done. You could uh, be um, on quite a sugar high after that. There's also another lady by the name of Agadu. Yeah, you can feel free to sing. Now, who? Yeah. Now, who sang the song? Which band sang the song Agadu? Who can remember that one? I couldn't remember. Nobody know. Nobody's even googling at the moment. All right, well, it was actually black lace. There you go. You can have it because you're such a good boy, George. You've behaved yourself. I like this next one. Um, a lady by the name of Wonder Wall. Wonder Wall. Oasis, did you get that right? Gee, Russell, well done, mate. We all know that song. Two days. No, no, no. I love this next one, Mark Arena. Who did Macarena, the Macarena? Who, who, you, did, you did the Macarena, Richard, there you go. You've got to do the Macarena for us before you get your chocolate. Come on, stand up. Ah, oh, great, well done. Uh, the next one is watching you. Every move you make, every breath you take, Please, who said that? Ah, uh, that's your era, isn't it, uh, Andrew? Yeah. Oh, sorry, it was somebody else. Um, then there's, I love this next one, Gave You My Heart. What a name. This is actually true. You can go on the internet and this man really exists. You can see a photograph of Gave You My Heart. Last Christmas. I gave you my heart, George Michael, but uh, it was actually the band, the band. Who said, who said George Michael? Val up the back. There you go. And one more. Oh, no, two more. This is actually a name, a Wimberway. In the jungle, the mighty jungle, the lion sleeps tonight. Does anybody know um, who sang this song? No, not the Seekers. Very, very good rattling. You'll have to come down because I might hit somebody in the head throwing this. Well done. Were you Googling that? No? Sure, 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 sure. And uh, dancing. We could pick anyone. Dancing in the streets. There was, you should be dancing. Yeah. Bee Gees. Well done, well done, well done, well done. Very, very good. All right. Well, names, as we've been saying, saying, names matter and have meaning, particularly in, in Hebrew culture, in biblical times, 
Um, names were often highly significant. Um, a name told you something about a person's character and or their, their core. And we've been looking at um, the various names or titles which um, the prophet Isaiah gave to Jesus some, some 700 years before his, his birth. And Isaiah was prophesying at a time of uh, great challenge and great difficulty um, in, in Israel. And um, these names of the Messiah or of the Christ who was to come, I'm sure brought um, a sense of, of hope and help to those folks who were um, experiencing darkness and confusion. And these names of Jesus also give us hope and help as well. They speak to us of, um, of who Jesus is and they point to the ways in which Jesus can help us and meet our needs. So our scripture over this Advent series has been from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Um, we won't break out into the um, Handel's Messiah. It is a very beautiful piece of music, but uh, because of time, we will give it a miss. But we should have a sense of the scripture. We read it for the last three weeks. For to us, a, a child is born. For to us, a son is given. And the government, the authority, um, the rulership, the responsibility um, will rest upon his shoulders. And he will be called... Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And this morning we're looking at um, this name, Everlasting Father. Um, I'm going to dazzle you with my understanding of Hebrew this morning. This name here, Everlasting, in Hebrew means everlasting. <laughs> and the name Father, surprise, surprise, in Hebrew actually means Father, there's actually no hidden secrets in these Hebrew names this week. I know we've, last couple of weeks, we've unpacked the Hebrew uh, words for wonderful counselor and uh, prince of peace, but actually there's no hidden meaning in everlasting father. It means everlasting or eternal, eternal father. Um, one of the key uh, purposes of Jesus was to reveal what the unseen God is like. In John 14, verses 7 to 9, Jesus said, If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. You imagine the disciples. Jesus is saying, you've, you've seen God. And then Philip, who was probably thinking what everybody else, the band of disciples were thinking, but he was the only one that had the courage to kind of make the comment. He says, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. And Jesus replied, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? And, and one of the most profound little statements in, in the entire Bible, Jesus said, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. This is one of the most profound statements in the Bible. Jesus is declaring that he is... I'm getting excited. I could end up out through the back there. But he is the, the, the visible, tangible expression of the unseen God. He is God with skin on. God with skin on. God has come and revealed himself in the person of of Christ. There was a little girl um, who was, um, was drawing a picture 
And uh, the mom said to her little daughter, well, what are you drawing there, darling? And she said, well, I'm drawing a picture of God. And mum replied, well, um, sorry, dear, you can't draw a picture of God because nobody knows what God looks like. And the little girl replied, well, they will do when I'm finished. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4 and 6, it says, Christ gives us the best picture of God we'll ever get. The best little snapshot, the best um, piece of art, the best image that we will ever get of God is found in the person of Christ. It says that, it goes on to say, that we see and understand God in the face of Christ. If you're here this morning and, and you're a, a, a bit um, unclear as to what God looks like, then all you have to do is go and spend some time reading the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it gives you an understanding, an insight of what God is really like. So for me, Jesus is always my trump card. When there's something in the Bible I don't understand, particularly when I'm spending time in the Old Testament and there's some awful things that occur in, in the Old Testament that are often attributed to God, and I don't get many of those things. I don't comprehend what is going on, but that's okay because Jesus is my trump card. What I don't get, I bring out Christ because he trumps them all. Beautiful. You don't seem as excited... See, we can only, we excite on the inside, we can only really view God the Father through the lens of Jesus. And the highest perspective that we can ever have of God is when we see, Jesus, see God uh, through the image or through the perspective of Christ. And one of the great truths that Jesus came to bring us is that his dad is our dad. His dad is is our dad. And one of the most important things to know in life, particularly if you're a Christian, is that God is first and foremost a loving parent who deeply, deeply, deeply cares about you, who has your highest interests on his agenda. And the degree to which we understand and grasp that is the, is the degree to which we are spiritually strong and spiritually healthy. In fact, I would go as far to say is that your, your um, perspective of Christ, which gives you insight into the nature and character of God, will determine your spiritual health and who you are as a person. You, our faith rises and falls on our understanding of who Christ is as he has come to reveal the Father. And we live in a world that is desperately in need of good fathers. I've, I've given you this statistic before, but it's, it's worthwhile referring back to. And it's in relationship to um, fathers and sons, the relationships between fathers and sons. I don't know what the data is on on, on fathers and daughters, I imagine it would be relatively similar to, to the, the data on fathers and sons, but 30% of men, one-third approximately of guys, don't speak 
with their father. There, there, there is no connection whatsoever. Then there is about a third of men who have a difficult relationship with their father. So there's a level of contact, but there's a lot of, a lot of tension there. Then uh, 30% of men go through the motions of a relationship with their father, but they find it quite superficial. There's not a lot of depth to it. It's sort of, you know, just going through the motions, making the phone call on Father's Day because you have to, making the phone call on, um, on, on their parents' wedding anniversary because uh, you have to, which would be really nice at some point today to be wished happy anniversary. I'd really like that. <laughs> We got a text from a friend of ours this morning saying, wishing us happy anniversary. I don't know how he remembers our anniversary. And I texted him back and said, well, that was so nice, Gavin, because I don't anticipate any of my kids uh, contacting us today to wish us happy anniversary, and so far I've been spot on. Okay. <laughs> so this is a really sensitive, uh, this is really a sensitive subject. You see, because, see, I'm trying to move on really quickly. It's very sensitive. Yeah, yeah. I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm very, very tired. So if I, my humour goes off or I, my theology goes off, it, it's because I'm tired. <laughs> okay? It's always my excuse. My theology's way off. Oh, I was tired when I said that. So, See, this is a very sensitive subject. When we talk about fathers, um, see, father, the word father or dad means different things to different people, doesn't it? If I was to ask you to talk about your dad... We might have, we'll have a range, of, a range of stories, a range of images that will, will emerge. And given the above uh, that statistic that I mentioned, um, it's not surprising that whenever we mention this word dad, it invokes, creates a sense of, of angst for, for a lot of us. So for those of us who grew up with a dad, and, 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 and if, if you were without a father, our heart goes out to you. But uh, for those of us who grew up with a dad, there are different types of fathers. Um, some dads are like uh, Father Christmas or, or, um, or a sugar daddy. That is, um, they'll give their kids whatever they want, whenever they want it. And um, there, are no, there are no boundaries or limits with these kinds of fathers. It's kind of anything goes. Then there's the absent father who's actually disengaged. Um, they might spend their time um, watching TV or going to work or whatever it is, playing, playing sport, whatever it might be. Um, and they're disengaged, present but disengaged from, from, uh, from their children. Professor Manning Clark, in his um, History of Australia, made, a, I think, a profound observation. He said that... De declared this nation to be the land of the absent father. And he came to that conclusion because um, so many of the young men that went to uh, World War I, went to Europe, they came back traumatised. And they came back, and because they were unable to cope with their experience um, fighting, fighting on the front, they came back and they withdrew within themselves. And they found it very difficult to connect with their, with their, with their families. Then um, there's the austere father. That's uh, the, the father who's serious and somber and strict. And we don't have any of those kinds of fathers here, but there are folks like that in this world. 
And then there's the abusive father, the one who's angry, violent, or threatening. And the wonderful thing is, Jesus shows us that God the Father, the Father that he came to reveal, is not a sugar daddy. I know we'd like to think God is a sugar daddy, and there are some streams of the church that have transformed God into a sugar daddy. So whatever I want, all I have to do is name it and claim it, and it's, and it's mine. Um, but I don't believe that that's, that's who uh, God the Father is in the face of Christ. Um, um, God is, or Jesus revealed that God is not the absent Father, but he is a God who is present. And Jesus shows us that God the Father is not an austere God, but God has a smile. And Jesus reveals that God is not an abusive God, but God is loving and God is good. And so this is what I believe Jesus revealed about God the Father. Number one, that the Father sets limits. The Father sets limits. There's a a child psychologist by the name of Gary Etzo, and he described four stages of parenting. I'll just mention the, the first stage. And each of these four stages are appropriate ways that parents uh, relate to their children. And each of these stages, when you look at them, uh, actually reflect the way that God parents us. And stage one of effective parenting begins with discipline and boundaries. And so from birth to age five, approximately, in the early uh, years of child uh, development, parents are supposed to set the rules. They are supposed to set guidelines and limits. Kids are not the boss. Parents define what is right and wrong, good and bad. And if parents don't set boundaries in those formative years, it becomes incredibly difficult to enforce boundaries when kids become teenagers. So you do the hard work in the early years. Okay? Our daughter reckons that um, she she said to us one day, we're having a meal uh, as a family, and she said, "Um, remember when you used to beat us, beat me every every day? We definitely did not beat her every day. It was every second day. Um, <laughs> but we set limits and we set boundaries uh, in place um, because that's what parents, parents do. God is not a sugar daddy. God is not a Santa Claus who gives us what we want whenever we want it. And in the formative years of our faith development, as we grow in our faith... God sets boundaries. God gives us clear commandments to follow. I find it very interesting that the Sermon on the Mount was actually given by Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. And this foundational teaching was was there to, um, to let people know that God has standards. There are standards that we are to live by and build our life upon. And and Jesus defined um, good and bad, right and wrong. And those, if you want to unpack the Sermon on the Mount, it's primarily about justice. 
and doing good. Not so much about morality, but he kind of defines those, not that there's no morality there, but the primary um, pulse of the Beatitudes is around, is around justice. And so God the Father disciplines us. He's not a sugar daddy. But that's a good, healthy thing, isn't it? To have limits. You feel safe. You kind of know, you're clear on how to live life. That's really, really good. The second thing that Jesus reveals about the Father is that the Father is present for us. Um, the greatest gift um, that a parent can give their child is their presence. Not presence, but presence. To give children time. And when Jesus was engaging with his disciples, he modeled this. Um, in Matthew 28, it says, And be sure, Jesus said, and be sure of this, I am with you always. I'm always going to be there, even to the end of the age. You see, God is not absent. God is attentive. In 2 Chronicles 7, 15, this is God speaking. He says, God says, My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. And so when we communicate with God, God is listening. God's eyes are open. His ears are open to us. Then the third thing that Jesus reveals about the Father is the Father smiles upon us. Luke 7, 33-34. For John the Baptist didn't spend his time eating bread or drinking wine, and you say he's possessed by a demon. The Son of Man... The human one, on the other hand, feasts and drinks. He parties. He has a great time. And you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. I think Jesus would surprise many of us in his love for life. There must have been something highly attractive about Jesus if children were attracted to him and parents were happy for Jesus to lay his hands upon kids and bless them. There must be something really winsome and delightful about Christ that tax collectors and sinners wanted to spend time with them. Um, that scripture that, uh, that uh, Kate read this morning from Luke 10 says, At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit. Full of joy through the Holy Spirit. You see, what Jesus reveals is that God is not austere. God is not an austere God. I'm not sure why. Maybe it's a personality thing. Maybe it's because people are raised either within a church culture that is austere or they grow up in a home that is austere. They, they, they look like they're in a straitjacket. And for them, God has got this frown on his face and he's so serious and solemn and strict and they want church to be like that well i don't want to be in a church like that i could not bear to be in an austere church quite happy with the boundaries that jesus sets because they're good and healthy but that brings joy because remember, the Sermon on the Mount begins with the Beatitudes. 
Blessed, happy, joyful are those. You see, those boundaries bring joy. Thank you. And then the fourth thing that Jesus uh, reveals about the Father is the Father loves us. John 31, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. I don't believe that you can look at Jesus and and come to any other conclusion that God the Father is anything but merciful, kind, and good. I can't come to any other conclusion than that, that if Jesus is the image of the unseen God, then the God that, that he represented was a God that was fundamentally good, fundamentally kind, fundamentally generous, fundamentally gracious, fundamentally merciful. If, if the musos want to come up. Let me finish um, with a story. So the, 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 the truth is, we'd actually have very little idea of what God the Father is like if it were not for Jesus. We would have vague ideas. But Christ has made God plain to us. And that's the Easter message, is that God has come with skin on to show us what the unseen God is like. And he's certainly not a Santa Claus But he's not absent, and he's not austere, and he's not abusive. There was a man whose young son had become very ill. And after the boy had undergone an exhaustive series of tests, he was given the news that his son had a terminal illness. The dad had the task of telling his son that he would soon die. He went to the hospital ward and sat by the boy's bed. First, he read a passage of the Bible and had a time of prayer with his son. Then he told him that the doctors had given him only a few more days to live. The father asked his son, Son, are you afraid of dying and meeting God? After shedding a few tears, the little boy looked at his father and said, No, not if he's like you, Dad. Am I afraid of dying and meeting God? Not if he's like Jesus. Are you afraid of meeting God? You shouldn't be if he's like Jesus. Because Jesus is so merciful and kind and generous and loving. And he shows us what this unseen God is really like. And all of those ideas of God's austerity and God's absence and God's anger are washed away when the image and likeness of Christ is brought to bear upon us. Can we stand and uh, close our service this morning? I would
thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard the tender whispers of love in the dead of night. Tell me that you're pleasing and I'm never alone. You're good and perfect. Thank you. 